Hello and welcome once again to the program. It's with great pleasure that I welcome back to Wellbeing Dr Chris Jedjets, Medical Coordinator for the Family Planning New South Wales. When Chris was last with us, we looked at some of the details of the problems that can arise with women as they go through menopause. Today, not only will we be taking that a little further, but some of the problems of osteoporosis, which can start to make an appearance at that time of life. Chris, thanks for coming in, and it is great to have you here again. Thanks, Iris. Let's talk first about menopause. Does it happen in some form to all women? Well, menopause literally means your last period. So if you live long enough, you'll go through menopause. But in the way it's commonly understood in terms of symptoms, Mm. uh, the symptoms of menopause, like the hot flushes and all the things we talked about last time, can certainly start while you are still having your periods. Mm. And, you know, a sizable proportion of women have their worst symptoms before their periods stop. Okay, so the coordination between that is once the, the periods have stopped, the chances are that all the hot flushes and the miserable bits and everything will decrease? She's an optimist, isn't she? You can just <laughs> tell. Um, no. <laughs> oh. For some people that's so, but for others um, there may be no symptoms in that time and then, or they may continue to get worse. Okay. It's variable. There is a sizable proportion of women who have very few symptoms, you know. Mm-hmm. They sail through the whole thing saying things. I had a few friends like this saying things like, I think it's a little hot in here today or maybe it's the menopause, you know. You feel like killing them as you sit there with your red face and the sweat pouring down your face. But for most women, it's, you know, two years, three years, four years is the worst and it settles down. But then at the other end, there's a sizable proportion of women who keep having symptoms all the way. And of course, that can be very difficult. Mm. No doubt there are things that we'll talk about later that can help these women. Mm -hmm. Okay. Usually at what age does all these problems start? Okay, so it's around 45 to 55, generally Mm. quoted. Uh, It can be earlier. 40 to 45 is called sort of early. Under 40 is called premature. Okay. Okay. So if the average, just to come back to that average, is, you know, in Australia is, you know, 51 Mm. or something. So, you know, there's still people either side side. of of Mm. that. Mm. What actually happens to the body? I mean, apart from the obvious thing of the periods starting to become perhaps erratic or going away and then coming back, those sorts of things, what actually happens to the body? Well, what actually happens is that you're not making so much estrogen and progesterone and testosterone anymore. Mm. Now, this is one place that I always mention that, you know, having a little bit of weight is good. So if you have a little bit of peripheral weight, even though your ovaries stop, mm. you will still be making it in your fat tissue. So that's a little bit of help, both for menopause mm. and for osteoporosis, whereas your thinner, fitter ladies are somewhat disadvantaged, which is always nice for us overweight people. Of course, the <laughs> other one that I just forgot mm. to mention is some women go through menopause, premature menopause, that may mm. be familial or genetic, but of course there's quite a large group of women who go through menopause because they have surgery yeah. and they have their ovaries removed, you know, often for some sort of cancer. And the sort of menopause you go through then is pretty awful. It's very sudden and quite mm. severe. 
Okay. Just picking up on that for a couple of minutes, if someone has a hysterectomy but retains her ovaries, will she still go through menopause? She will still go through menopause. She won't have been bleeding beforehand, Mm. but she'll usually get some symptoms. Mm. Um, I think there's a bit of evidence that maybe it'll happen a bit sooner. But, yeah, they will still go through menopause basically in the same mm. way. So the, the a hysterectomy where you just remove the womb and retain the ovaries, you still go through the same mm. process. Hot flushes are the ones that I guess are the most familiar symptom. Why do we have hot flushes? Um, I think we need a little bit more research to really work all that out. We don't actually have the full answer. There's some uh, evidence that it may be involved with the temperature regulating center in the brain the you know the Mm. ovary and the hormonal system is run from the pituitary which is run from the hypothalamus which is affecting you know which is involved in um, temperature regulation Mm. maybe an effect on blood vessels there's some uh, theories about neurotransmitters may be involved but we're not really clear about it we are clear that giving people estrogen back in a very large majority of people will settle the flushes. Oh, okay. But in general, it's something we just are used to and, and it happens. Well, yeah, and it hap- but it happens in different amounts in different mm. people, as I you know, sort of alluded to before. I mean, certain things make flushes worse. I talk to my patients about the hots, you know, the hot weather, the hot temperature, Mm. the hot temper, the hot drinks, hot food. (laughs) So anything like that, exercise, you know, there are a whole Mm. lot of things that can make flushes worse. So there are things we can do. I mean, having said exercise will make them worse if you exercise regularly and get a bit more fit. That seems to help. Certainly estrogen replacement, you know, you were Mm. talking about women with hysterectomy. Well, they just need estrogen. And the second hormone is progesterone to protect the womb. If you've had Mm. a hysterectomy, you don't need that that and Mm. you just need the one hormone. In amongst all of that, the hot temper. Can we take that sort of one sidestep, if you like, and ask, does depression sometimes happen at this time? Okay, so first we'll do the official line. Mm. The official line from all the research is that menopause itself doesn't cause depression. Okay, moderate to severe depression. On the other hand, then you take a step back and you say 20% of women in the population have depression. Mm. Yeah? Yep. 80% of people who get depression get recurrences. Yeah? Mm Mm-hmm. And when you look at the list of the symptoms of menopause, remember last time we talked about blood tests are not much use, and so you do a symptom score. So, you know, if you're getting hot flushes, lightheaded feelings, headaches, irritable, unloved, anxious, moody, sleeplessness, unusual tiredness, backache, joint pains, muscle pains, you know, you could see you could get a bit down about it. Let's Add to that, you you know, in your early 50s, um, you know, you're getting the odd wrinkle, you're developing the middle age spread, <laughs> you're looking you after your parents. <laughs> For younger listeners, Chris, you make it sound so attractive and looking forward to yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. It's true. But, it, you know, it's yeah. a fact. Mm. And your children are either leaving home or coming back. Mm. I mean, the classical description of the empty nest syndrome always amuses me because most of the women I see now are complaining about an (laughs) over-full nest. (laughs) So to get back to our topic, 
yes, I do see women who come in and say, I'm depressed mm. and I think this is menopause. Mm. And I have to say that it's not always true that if you put someone who appears to have depression on HRT that that will help. Mm. So if you are depressed, you usually need antidepressants, right? Yeah. On the other hand, there is this group of women who come in quoting all those symptoms. You know, they've got the flushes and all those mm. other things I detailed. And you put them on hormone replacement and when they come back, they're, they're joyous. Mm. I'm back to myself, they say. <laughs> You know, the mood is improved, they're coping better, they're sleeping better, their relationships with everyone are better. So there is that sort of um, grey area. Chris, I've heard of women who've had a fairly straightforward journey through menopause, but who then end up with a really severe problem with osteoporosis later in life. Do these things really go hand in hand or is that coincidence? No, they, they're intertwined, Iris. Okay. Let's go back to the beginning. We build our skeleton in our teens and early 20s, mm. you know, mm. sort of mid-20s to 30s. We get our skeleton organised. And then sort of from our 40s onwards, we're actually on a tiny little decline. But the main effect comes at the time of menopause because oestrogen is yeah. one of the things that oh, maintains okay. bone density. Mm. And um, when we go through menopause we're starting to lose bone density. So mm. osteoporosis is loss of the calcium, um, often mm. loss of vitamin D, and the bones become more brittle. They become more fragile. They become more breakable. And after menopause, once the oestrogen hormone has decreased, we're losing, you know, 3 4 5% a year for a few years, yeah. and then again we go back to a couple of percent. You know, we're living longer. The average age of mm. women is in their mm. 80s. Mm. So it depends how high you go at the beginning, right, in yes. terms of building up. So you may have a family history of osteoporosis, mm. but there are other things that stop you building up your skeleton initially. They would be things like you didn't have a lot of calcium. You know, if you didn't, yeah. a lot of women, and especially young women, are avoiding dairy products, which mm. is the easiest yeah. way to get it because it puts on fat. So calcium intake can be low. Do we need to then go back, think about the 20 years old, that's the time when they should be strengthening their skeleton? Well, yes. That I doesn't all come these... into all the adverts and things, though, does it? It doesn't, but, yeah, we sh I mean, exercise is always a good idea unless mm. it's excessive. Of course, you know, sometimes athletes, people who exercise an awful lot, will actually turn their ovaries off and they'll develop loss of bone density it's yeah. a cause of loss so you know as in so many things it's a matter of that balance between having regular exercise mm. but not going over the top mm. you know then there are other things that can decrease um, bone density other diseases you know mm. thyroid other diabetes being on cortisone on steroids for asthma or various illnesses or it maybe if you have trouble absorbing the calcium you know if mm. you have some sort of bowel problem um, there are drugs that can decrease it so there's a whole lot of things but then at menopause it just does have that bigger drop mm. so when you look at women who take hormone replacement therapy they delay that drop oh okay 
So yeah. if you take menopause, you know, on average for two to five years, you'll stop that loss until you go off and then it will happen, but it will happen five yeah. years later. Oh, okay. I mean, one of the other things is um, in terms of osteoporosis is uh, low vitamin D. And isn't it amazing that in the sunburned country that, you know, pretty well close to half of women certainly have low vitamin D. Now, you make that by being out in the sun. And, of course, they so, tell us know, to use sunscreen and, and cover uh, up. Well, yeah, there is that. That's, yeah. you know, perceptive of you, Iris, because there is that message. But that's about the midday sun, you know. So we're talking about people Any who time. are not, well, preferably in terms of looking after your bones, you know, because mm. you're talking about prevention. It's like 5, 10, 15 minutes, but not in the middle of the day, especially not mm. in summer. Earlier in the morning, yep. later in the afternoon, arms, head, mm. you know. doesn't matter um, what part of the body as long as the sun gets to Well, yeah, to some, some sunlight on a fair proportion. Mm. Mm. I mean, one of the sad things is nursing homes in our society yeah. because um, they certainly are overfull and understaffed. And if you look at residents in nursing homes, the majority of mm. them don't get out in the sun. Mm. And, you know, you can take vitamin D, but obviously if you can do it naturally. It's much better. It is much better. So if you're just getting up, for example, a working girl gets up, does her washing in the morning, pegs out. By the time she's finished pegging it out, she's covered a, a good chunk of her Probably, intake. Yeah. yeah. If she's got somewhere to peg it out and she's not popping it in the dryer, that's a good start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As you say, it need not be full sun, but some sun. It shouldn't be full sun, mm. but it should mm. be some sunlight. So you do it earlier and later in the day, and that way you absorb your calcium better, you, you help the calcium work on the bone, um, get into mm. the bones. You know, so that when you're looking at people with osteoporosis, if they aren't getting enough vitamin D, there are now preparations that give both. What about if someone's been diagnosed with osteoporosis, what sort of treatment can be given to them? There are quite a few treatments. I mean, I think when you say if someone is diagnosed with osteoporosis, that puts you a bit ahead already. Mm. There's been some literature out saying that there's a lot of undiagnosed people with osteoporosis mm. in our community. And there's evidence now that if you get a fracture that um, in older people mm. that you're quite likely to get another fracture. I think you're four times more likely to get another fracture in the next 12 months. Mm. And then you're 12 times more likely to get another fracture. It's called the fracture cascade. And so this is not being picked up on and looked at often enough. Mm. And there are a lot of undiagnosed people around. And so uh, I'd say to all you ladies out there that if you have had a fracture, especially one with minimal trauma, you know, mm. you've had a bit of a fall or twist or something and something's um, happened, then you should probably trot along to your do doctor and say, I wonder if I've got osteoporosis. I think I'd like to have my bone density measured. And it can be done as easy as that? It can be done. I would advise against, you know, some of the, in some shopping centres you see offers to check your wrist and, and your mm. ankle. And I would just like to say that, you know, for 
40 or $60, seemingly not very much. I'd just like to say that that's fine as far as it goes, mm. which is to say whether you have osteoporosis in the wrist or the ankle. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but both of those could be fine and you could yeah. have a fairly nasty spine, mm. which is where you're probably most likely to, to get a fracture. Yeah. So um, you have this thing called bone mineral density. There's also some ultrasounds being offered in the community and they haven't been proven to um, really be yeah. accurate. And by the time it shows up on x-rays, you know, you've lost an awful lot more. So mm. I think, first of all, the diagnosis is important. And then, yes, there are, as I said, hormone replacement therapy works, but there are four or five other classes of drugs that can be mm. used. And the choice of those depends on, it's a little bit hard to generalise, mm. but um, there are some other options that you can use. But the other, I guess the other message I want to send out to listeners in terms of osteoporosis is about, as you're getting older, exercise. Um, the exercise we mentioned in depression. Yeah. Exercise is terrifically good if you're feeling a bit depressed. There was, uh, there's been a couple of nice little trials that showed it worked as well as antidepressants, you know, in milder people. Um, exercise is terrific because it builds up your bones, it builds up your muscles. And the other issue is that it helps with your balance. So when you look at people, you know, the reason that osteoporosis is so important is if you have fragile bones and you may not be aware of it, you know, you may have had a bit of backache mm. um, and just put it down to old age. But if you have a fall and you have fragile bones and say you fracture your femur, it's not good news. Mm. You're more likely mm. to have another one. You're likely to lose mobility. Um, you're more likely to end up losing your independence. And, you know, there's that issue that people can have osteoporosis um, and not have a fracture. So balance, it's like as people are getting older, it's about muscle strength and balance training as well, not just about eating three to four servings yeah. of dairy products a day, <laughs> yeah, having them low fat yeah. if that's what concerns you. Chris, we've talked about the problems of osteoporosis, hot flushes, and the things that we associate with menopause. How common is loss of libido in a woman when she's in this menopause area? And if it is common or, or not, I guess, what can be done about it? Okay, so certainly I do see women coming along talking about loss of libido. Now, you know, if you're not sleeping, mm. if you're getting hot flushes, if you're getting all those symptoms of menopause, then often that will decrease your libido. Women who are stressed, it's not an uncommon story mm. that women who are stressed will have a decrease in libido. I guess in depression too is... Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. And then just to help you along, even though the tablets may, the antidepressives may help you, some of them can then interfere with your body's sexual response, you know, making it harder to reach orgasm. Mm. A bit hard to win sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> so certainly there's that issue, but it isn't a straightforward thing. You know, I do have women coming along saying... I'd like some testosterone. So testosterone mm. is the other hormone which which is decreased in older women mm. and is responsible for our 
you know, arousal, thoughts about mm. sex, responses. But it's not absolutely linear. Testosterone doesn't really fall dramatically at menopause. It's starting to go down a little bit earlier in life and continuing down. Mm. There are certainly women who have a normal testosterone level mm. and have a low libido. Mm. Is it common or is it just the odd case? It's it's reasonably common. I mean, the other issue is that, because we're moving off testosterone now, mm. the other thing is that, of course, after menopause, gradually one of the things, apart from the flushes, is the genitourinary symptoms. Mm. So the vagina and the urethra, the passage from the mm. bladder to the outside, do get thinner and drier. And one of the things that I do at work, because I think some women are still a bit shy about mentioning it, is I do tend to mention it and say to women, do you notice? So obviously, even if your libido is intact and you're having sex and even though you're aroused up top, down the bottom you're still dry and finding it a little bit uncomfortable, Mm. even with, you know, sometimes um, lubricants will help for a while, but then Mm. they won't. Then over time you you won't look forward to having sex if it's something that's Mm. painful. Now, over months, the women come back and say, my libido is lower. It's sort of what I call a natural response. Why would you want to do something that made you feel sore? Mm. So even women who don't want to take hormone therapy, there are forms of vaginal estrogen available as tablets or creams or little pessaries, which mainly act locally. And they will thicken. So if a woman is feeling dryness, either all the time or during sex, she certainly has that option of just using estrogen locally, which will maintain the vaginal thickness, its ability to lubricate and make you more comfortable. So for some women, that will solve the problem. Right. It's other women will get better when you put them on HRT because mm. some of those other symptoms will go away. But okay. what's also important is what they were like before. You know, mm. if they've never had a good sex life, it's not likely to improve <laughs> now. And giving them a lot of testosterone is not likely to help either. So there's that issue. There's the issue of the relationship. It's not straightforward. And while there are a group of women for whom testosterone will help, they're quite a small group. Mm. The ones that are easiest to recognise are the ones we briefly alluded to with surgical menopause, yeah. where they've lost quite early in life most of their you mm. know, testosterone and they will sometimes respond. But it's all made very difficult by the fact that it's very difficult. There are, there are not good sensitive assays. Mm. So the levels are fairly low. The assays are, can, um, are not accurate enough. This is being remedied at the moment. But, you know, what is the normal and the abnormal? You know, the main reason you measure testosterone is to make sure that if you were to try it at the end of all these other things I've talked about, that they aren't already at the upper limit of normal and you didn't send them into a Mm. very high level and end up with them being... uh, hairier or um you know there was a famous case of a soprano i think in america years ago who'd lost her her top notes you know and sued successfully for a lot of money so enlargement of the clitoris (laughs) (laughs) but there is also one of the hormone replacements called tibolone it has estrogenic and progestogenic and testosterone like qualities and it will sometimes improve women's libido as well so, as I say, you know, it's not straightforward. 
There's a lot of issues involved and you really have to untangle all that. And all of this, is the woman still fertile while she's going through menopause? Is she likely to get pregnant? You know, this is a big issue at the moment because women are delaying childbearing just to go Mm. backwards a little bit. You know, when I was 18, the average age of first baby was 18. Mm. Um, These days it's in the high 20s, maybe even touching 30. So fertility is starting to decline in your 30s. You know, so a lot of women are now wanting more life, more travel, more career before they start having babies. But the coming back to the menopause is that your fertility does start to decline and probably in your, you know, 45 to 50s, um, your chances of getting pregnant are still there, but they're probably only a couple of percent. Nevertheless, this is not a great comfort if you are the one. I find particularly if it's a low statistic, <laughs> it doesn't seem to be good news. Hormone replacement therapy is not contraceptive. So in that perimenopause, that time we were talking about where women are having some symptoms but still bleeding, Mm. um, if they go on hormone replacement therapy, the possibility of pregnancy occurring, while low, is there. It's still there. And you should either use non-hormonal methods of contraception, you know, use condoms or diaphragms, or something mm. like that. The other thing that's available now is this um, IUD with progesterone on the stem, and it's available as a form of contraception. Mm. You've got an incredible dose of progesterone in the womb, which stops the womb building up and increases the mucus mm. and impedes fertilization. So it's a wonderful contraceptive. It's the best treatment for heavy bleeding, apart from having a hysterectomy. Mm. I think a lot less women, you know, when you look yeah. at your cohort, Iris, mm. many of them had hysterectomies, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. In actual fact, Newcastle used to be the hysterectomy capital of New <laughs> South Wales at one stage. <laughs> we did not talk yeah. about that too much. Yeah. But these days, you know, a, a large majority of women can have this um, progesterone IUD. Mm. Now, one of the other things it does is it protects the uterus for hormone replacement. So if you have that, you only need to take a little bit of oestrogen. And, of course, it's also a fantastic contraceptive. The pregnancy rate is much less than, you know, 1%, (laughs) probably less than 0.1%. And so you've got your contraception. You Mm. can take a little bit of oestrogen if you need it. Or the other thing that's sometimes used is in women with no contraindications. So in women who don't have high risks for clots or heart Mm. disease, the normal blood pressure, whose cholesterol is normal, whose blood sugar level is normal, yeah, Mm. who are fairly healthy, they can, we now know that it's safe for them to take the pill till they're 50. And that has oestrogen in it. Mm. So that will often give a woman symptom relief and contraception. Chris, we've run out of time, unfortunately. Chris Jergetz has been my guest today. She's the Medical Coordinator for Family Planning New South Wales. I hope you've found the program has been informative. And until the next time we meet, this is Iris Nichols on behalf of us all wishing you well.